0: Well, I want to speak to us in the second week of a series that we're just calling Kingdom Time, which is, of course, just a marker of the season of life in the church that we are in. And I want to begin with a story. Michael was the pastor of First Church in Middleton, Colorado. He'd been the pastor there for a number of years, faithfully serving the mid-sized congregation and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bivocational, making most of his living through manual labor. This meant that he didn't have much, wore basic clothing, and even though he was smart and showed the congregation love, he really wasn't very good at public speaking. But First Church accepted Michael. He was present to them, and he loved them well. They accepted him. That is, until a group of influencers in the church started watching Pastor Stephen's sermons online. Now, Stephen pastored Mega First Church in the neighboring big city. He dressed nicely, had a cool haircut, and didn't have to be bivocational because he had a skill set that grew the church to a size where they could support him full-time. And boy, was he a dynamic speaker. Stephen was impressive indeed. And that really changed the way that First Church and the people of First Church felt about Michael. They went from accepting him to being ashamed of him and rejecting his leadership. Surely they thought we could get a leader like Pastor Stephen to come to our church. And then they wouldn't have to settle for someone as unimpressive as Michael. Now, This is not a cautionary tale warning you to not listen to other sermons online. (laughs) I know what you're thinking, right? This is not autobiographical. This is actually what happened to the Apostle Paul in Corinth. While the Corinthian church accepted and loved Paul at first... They were soon introduced to wealthy and good-looking and dynamic leaders in the Christian movement who would come and do ministry in Corinth, and that made them very quickly abandon Paul in his leadership and become ashamed of the leadership Paul had done. And this is really, really helpful backstory to understanding our passage of Scripture this morning. It's found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And I want to read it for you uh, this morning. Second Corinthians chapter four, uh, beginning with verse thirteen, going through the end of the chapter, verse eighteen, it says this. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and will bring us into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so we do not lose heart. For even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, on first reading, uh, this passage of Scripture, and in particular, verse 13, makes little or no sense at all. Uh, You know, sometimes when you're reading the letters and the wisdom of the Apostle Paul, he drops amazing truth bombs that can live on their own without the consideration of context. And let me be clear, this is not one of those, (laughs) right? That on the surface, this is very confusing at at worst and, and just sort of there at best. It makes no sense. Uh, But in verse 13, Paul quotes a line from Psalm 116. And the line that he quotes is actually separated by the hyphens. I believed, and so I spoke. This very brief quote of Psalm 116 may not seem like much, But in quoting this one line, Paul is calling to mind an entire world of the psalm. In other words, by quoting the one line, he's making reference to the whole thing. And of course, we do this all the time. A very similar thing happens every time that we quote a line from a movie, because we're not just quoting the line, we're making reference to the entire thing, right? We're bringing the whole storyline of the movie to bear on that circumstance in which we quote the one line. Um, and so uh, here are some famous one-liners that come to mind. May the force be with you. To which I always want to reply, and also with you. <laughs> and I am just waiting for it, right? Um, how about this line? One more step, and it's the furthest from home that I've ever been. Right? From Lord of the Rings. And we often will say this while we're on vacation. This is a family thing that we do. We're like, you know, we might just be a couple blocks from our home, and I'm driving, and I'm like, one more block, and we'll be the furthest from home that we've ever been, right? And it's just this calling into mind this whole world of the Lord of the Rings. Or how about this one, one of my favorites, especially in the summer during baseball season, this one line, there's no crying in baseball, from A League of Their Own, a phenomenal movie. And finally, maybe this is a new one, and not from a movie, but from a TV series, but has kind of made its way into the cultural vernacular. Anytime you want to make a point or you have made a point, what do you say other than, I have spoken, (laughs) right? From The Mandalorian. In these moments, when we're drawing just these one lines, we're actually calling into mind an entire world. And the Apostle Paul is doing the exact same thing. He quotes this one line from Psalm 116, but is bringing us to the whole psalm. And so what is Psalm 116 all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a psalm about God being faithful in the midst of suffering. It's about God's rescue when all seems lost. And it's about the psalmist saying, In the midst of it all, and because of the character of who God is, I have continued to trust, and therefore I will speak up. Or hence the, I believed, and so I spoke. It's this leaning into the character of who God is and then a testimony to follow. And you put yourself in Paul's shoes and you realize how this psalm finds resonance and why he's kind of drawing from this psalm to make the point that he wants to make in 2 Corinthians. He has lived through the realities of this psalm, rejected by, his people, by the people that he has loved, Remember? The, the story about Michael and Stephen, my fictional story, he has quite literally been rejected by the people that he has loved. He is now facing persecution because of his faith. He's enduring hardship. And so the words of the psalmist, I was troubled and bitter, I was down in the depths, have, fi- have found in his life a particular kind of resonance. And yet, God was faithful so that his life could also echo the words, quote, You have rescued my life from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from tripping up, end quote, from the Psalm. And so just as the psalmist says, based on the character of who God is, based on God's character and action in the world, I have believed and so I spoke, Paul is now saying, I too believe and I also will speak. And so behind all of this, and behind all of life, complete with all of its ups and downs, Paul speaks about a resurrection hope in Jesus. Now, it's interesting. In this particular section of 2 Corinthians, what he's actually doing is going to defend his ministry. Remember, they've rejected him. They've become ashamed of his ministry. They've kind of identified him as, as not being, as his words being true because his presentation isn't as slick. <laughs> right? And so he's actually coming to the defense of his own ministry. But to defend his own ministry, he points us to the example and the ministry of Jesus by saying Jesus himself wasn't slick and impressive, but rather was filled with truth. And so he points us to this hope of resurrection. And so he essentially says, in the midst of all of this, behind all of life, complete with the ups and downs, is the resurrection hope of Jesus, The new creation has broken in, that death has, death has not been overcome, and so, he says, we do not lose heart. Man, if there's anything over the past maybe, say, 15, 16 months that all of us have been tempted to do is to lose heart. And if there's a word for any of us is that in the midst of all of it, do not lose hope for there is, do not lose heart for there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Right? And this is essentially what Paul is pointing us to. And for him, it's very personal. He's trying to defend himself against this group of people that have become ashamed of him. But the very same truths are just as applicable for us. And so with Psalm 116 in the background and the resurrection of Jesus in the foreground, the testimony of the Apostle Paul is that our eyes should be fixed on what is unseen rather than what is seen. Now, any time we come to the Apostle Paul and words similar to this, we tend to misunderstand, right? We tend to kind of bring a whole world of assumption to the text and say what he's essentially talking about or the comparison is between that which is physical or tangible and that which is not physical or tangible. And that is not the case, okay? I want you to hear me, that is not the case. The comparison is not between what is physical and tangible and that which is not. The comparison is between that which belongs to the present world and that which belongs to the world to come. This isn't a physical versus non-physical comparison. It's a comparison between what belongs to the present world and what belongs to the world that God has promised. And what he says is when we do that, when we learn to see in these ways, when we learn to to give priority to the things that belong to the world that is yet to come, then there's a shift and a change in that which we value. That which we value. The Christians in Corinth had been swayed by an ancient pastor, Stephen, in my fictional story, and believed that success or wealth, etc., were the most valuable things. But Paul refutes this by pointing us to the cross and saying, Jesus gave up all rights, gave up all privileges that were his, and became a suffering servant who won our salvation by defeating death. I want to say that again. The Christians in Corinth had believed an ancient kind of pastor, Stephen, and had believed that success or wealth, etc., were the most valuable things. But Paul refutes this by, saying, by pointing us to the cross and saying, Jesus is the one who gave up all rights and privileges and became a suffering servant and then won our salvation by defeating death through resurrection. And so what Paul does is he appeals to the Corinthians who have rejected his leadership and asks that they not despite, despise his suffering. Because Paul, much like my fictional story of Michael, was a bivocational person, went from church to church, and, and, and just like was a humble had a very humble living. And he says, essentially, he appeals to the Corinthians and says, do not reject my leadership and despise my suffering or consider me a failure. Because it's actually through the suffering of Christ and through the failure of the cross that the beauty of salvation was accomplished. Ooh, right? Right? Paul will say in his first letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter the message or the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are suffering or to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, the cross is the very wisdom and power of God. And so he says, Don't despise me because of my suffering, don't despise me because of my apparent failures. Because it's through suffering and through what looks like the failure of the cross that our very salvation is won. And so, therefore, there is hope behind all that we experience. And so, behind all of life is the resurrection hope of Jesus. New creation has broken in, death has been overcome, therefore do not lose heart and fix our eyes on that which, not which, that which is unseen rather than that which is seen. Or fix your eyes on the things that belong to the world that is to come, not that belong to the present world. And having just celebrated the life of Angie Ketchum, I want to give us a very kind of tangible way of thinking about this. Over the past several years, it has become common to show a slideshow of pictures at Celebration of Life services. Uh, this is a good thing. It provides a wonderful like, opportunity to reflect and to celebrate the person's life through pictures. But here's what I've noticed. No one ever shows a picture of their big old TV in the slideshow no one ever shows a picture of their really nice car. No one ever shows a picture of the collection of their stuff or their storage unit, right? And I'm not against storage units or big old TVs, right? But what is Paul's encouragement to us? In light of the resurrection of Jesus and the new creation that has broken in, we are to fix our eyes on the things that belong the, to the world that is yet to come, not just the things that are, belong to this present world. And so when you come to the slideshow at the celebration of life service, what do you see pictures of? You see pictures of the people and the experiences that, this, that intersected this person's life and the experiences they had and the love that they shared. And all of these things are signposts of the unseen. To get to sense of the most valuable things, we show pictures of the people that we've loved and that have loved us. We show pictures of the experiences that we've had in which we have learned and grown. And so we show pictures that become sort of this tangible thing, that, this tangible signpost that points us to that which is unseen, that which is most valuable. And so I was just reading and thinking about this passage, and I just had a sense in which there's sort of this resurrection hope in the midst of the ups and downs, right? And yet at the very same time, Paul seems to want to be freeing us from the need to be exceptional, At least as the world understands it at least as cultural definitions of what it means to be exceptional paul seems to be trying to free us from that and say let's not get caught up in being exceptional but let's always be fascinated with the eternal amen amen Amen. and that is my encouragement to us that's our challenge that's my challenge to us to myself and to you all this morning is as we go about our lives, um, there's nothing wrong with enjoying nice things, but let's always make sure and press into the reality of what is most important. Let's recalibrate our value system based on the resurrection hope of Jesus and the new creation that has broken in. And so may it be true for all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the ministry of Paul the Apostle. We're thankful for the ways in which his words and his experiences have helped us to think about our own lives and our own journeys of faith. And today, we ask simply, Lord, that you would um, speak to our hearts and how this message might apply directly to each one of us. And maybe there's some recalibration that needs to be that needs to take place maybe there's um, some new perspective that we need to have God whatever it is we pray that your spirit would be freely at work in us and among us and especially be with us now as we gather around your table we ask all these things in Jesus name